0: there's a passage in my book where i i recount this funny little story about when i was a student and i was hitchhiking around ireland back in the day when truly there were no cars and there were no airbnbs and you didn't have a mobile you know and you hitched a lift and they'd take you but they'd take you where they were going and this guy came out of nowhere one evening and we said um are you going to wherever? <laughs> and the, the classic reply came, oh geez, if you're going to so-and-so, you don't want to be starting from here. And I was like, yes, but we are here. And, and, and I use that as an analogy about life that I, I think often you absolutely want to be somewhere and you think, God, if only I didn't have to start from here. This awful life that I don't like anymore, this job that I hate, or this marriage that isn't working, or just I don't like myself if only I didn't have to start from here and the point is you do have to start from there there's nowhere else you can start with you have to start from there so you have to have compassion about why you were there to yourself and you have to start to take some steps one little baby step after another and start from there but boy it's possible to go to the other place to the top of the mountain wherever it is you want to go but having The knowledge that you can press the reset button and that you can have compassion for yourself and other people can compassionately help you take some baby steps out of that place to the point where you start to lift your head above the parapet to go, oh wow, look, those fields over there do look greener.
1: That's Rosalind Palmer and I'm Brian Falchuk. This is Do A Day. You'll hear from the most inspiring people who have been through hard times, overcome them, and have turned around to help others with what they've learned i'm your host brian Felchuk. i know we can all overcome and achieve because i've lived it myself i've written about it in my book do a day and that's why i'm bringing you this show remember today's a new day go out and do it hey day doers welcome back for another episode of do a day my guest today is Rosalind palmer Rosalind is someone who had an incredibly successful career She was at the top of her game in PR and marketing. She worked with people like Mick Jagger and Tony Robbins, and she did PR in London in the 1980s, which was super high-flying, super high-stress, not the healthiest environment, but she was very successful building up a company, selling it, moving to the Bahamas to take her family there and live this life with the wealth she had amassed and just, you know, kind of like live the dream and it was all stripped away. And so she gets into that trying to rebuild one attempted at rebuild a new marriage that didn't work out because she hadn't actually resolved a number of things that were not right within her in figuring out who she was and what she wanted and how to move herself forward. And that journey informs the work she does today as a coach and as a therapist to try to help people really get in touch with the root cause issues, the underlying things that are holding us back or leading us to have these resets that don't take hold so we can actually move forward. Very excited to get to share the journey with Rosalind, And as I mentioned in the show, we actually had to do this twice. We did this great interview. I went to edit the episode to publish it and the file was totally busted. So she's very gracious and gave me the chance to interview her yet again. And I have to say, I actually pulled a lot out of getting to talk to her a second time. There's always more wealth we can pull from these conversations. So with that, let's jump into the episode with Rosalind Palmer. Rosalind Palmer, thank you so much for joining me. And I, I will have admitted in the opening that this is the second time I get to thank you for joining me. Thanks to technological failures that we'll, we'll just blame the computer it was probably me but that's all right let's let's just hate skype and, and microsoft and whatever else it couldn't be me right
0: let's be hating them
1: Absent. yeah yeah <laughs> um so we're all right we're, now we're not going to acknowledge it anymore we'll pretend we've never spoken before but give us a little overview of who you are and the work you do and then i can't wait to dig back into your story
0: Thank you. So yes, I'm I'm here in England. I'm Roslyn Palmer. I'm an advanced rapid transformational therapist, which is a form of hypnotherapy that combines the best of clinical hypnotherapy. NLP, Neuro-Linguistic Programming, CBT, Cognitive Behavioural Therapy, and Psychotherapy. So it's an amalgam of those, but it's very much hypnotherapy-based. So I am at heart a hypnotherapist, but I'm also an NLP-based coach. And I added the coaching to my hypnotherapy practice about four years ago because I think a good analogy is I realized that the therapy was really, really important to really get to the root of issues. And it's a bit like looking out on a garden and going, there are no weeds, that's delusional thinking. And then you go, yes, there are weeds, let me use weed killer. And you plant some lovely flowers, but then the weeds come back because you obviously have to get to the roots. You have Hmm. to pull them up by the roots. So I do coach a lot of people, but I tend to always do that after we've had at least one therapy session, because I am yet to find the person for whom that isn't a bonus, for whom digging out those roots that mean that however well they tend their brilliant, beautiful, shiny, lovely garden, those little weeds keep creeping up. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's the best place to be when you can actually... Plant a beautiful garden because you know that you've made the soil fertile and clean and good, and then you can plan ahead. So the coaching and the therapy together <clears throat> work really well, and that's what I do. But I do wear other hats, as you know. I, my background is uh, five years doing this, and prior to that, I have a pretty much a three decades background in very high-level agency life and PR and marketing, so, I went for a career change, but I found that I was being interviewed funnily enough on radio shows, etc. And obviously, my background in PR and marketing and communications means that I'm able to probably take quite complex things and make them understandable and, mm. and communicate them. So, I do have a newspaper column, I'm on a radio show, I'm now starting my own podcasts, and I write for Oodles of different publications, and I'm interviewed a lot because emotional well being, understandable, relatable emotional well being, I think is really, really important. And I, I really occupy that territory, and I have a best selling book in that area as well.
1: It's funny, I'd, I think I don't remember if we talked about this before, but the, the overlap to people on the outside may seem like it's not there between those your back your background professionally and what you're doing now and all I'm thinking is your communication skills and thinking about how to get that point across to someone regardless of where they're at that must come in handy every day for the work that you do today
0: oh massively i when i i was on the inaugural training for rapid transformational therapies uh-huh. And then I became a de facto coach, as in, you know, there were only a few of us who were trained in it. So it was, <laughs> as the next courses went forward, it was like, hey, yeah. <laughs> come be a coach, uh, a trainer. So I, I did train on probably about ten of those courses, and then I mentored for a while. I'm not doing it anymore because I'm, I'm, I'm doing lots of other wonderful things. And people would come along for the training, and they'd turn to me and they'd say. You know, my background isn't in therapy. My background is in blah. Do you think I'm going to, you know, be a good therapist or make a good therapist? And I heard myself saying, "Oh, yeah, you've got amazing transferable skills." You know, look at your transferable skills. Never having really thought about my own. So you're absolutely on the money. money and yeah. you know, PR marketing—you have to be a good communicator. Language is really important. Language is really important in hypnotherapy and. A Therapy, NLP
1: i mean that's a huge piece of it
0: all about how you talk how you talk to yourself how you communicate with yourself how you regard yourself those patterns those groundhog days of toxic thoughts that you and and dialogues that you get into that then lead to how you feel and how you behave so communication is absolutely key in hypnotherapy and in NLP based coaching in marketing and PR building rapport understanding somebody very quickly good marketing standing in their shoes understanding your target market yeah Yeah, you're right who'd have known they're amazing transferable skills yeah Uh, yeah they are and I also have the reassurance and ability because I've always handled clients and often very, very difficult clients in the past. I mean, Tony Robbins was one of my clients, for example. I actually did the PR for him and a, and a lot of the leading gurus in the world like Edward De Bono and Tony Robbins. So th- these were not, shall we say, pushovers. <laughs> they were easy people to yeah. be around. Um And I came up through that school of just understanding how to deal with people. And yeah, it's it, it's really meant that I've... I'd hear other therapists go, but I had this really difficult client, and I'd be like, well, "What did they do or say?" And they'd tell me, and I was like, <laughs> that's a walk in the park compared yeah. to what I used to do." Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Um, no, obviously not not disparaging Tony or anything, but I can imagine at that level, at that brand, and and the intensity that he has around it, it's got to be a lot. We- Look,
0: he evidently goes out on stage now. I, I'm not in touch with him, but he evidently goes out on stage now and says to his audience. I think along the lines of, wow, you think I'm intense now? You should have met me in the nineties. <laughs> he even acknowledges it yeah. himself.
1: So, yeah. Um, well, I do, I do want to dig into more of that past life and um, very much in the outside, super successful. You had everything, you know, financially, lifestyle, all these things, you had the family, huge career. Um, and there's a hard crash. And so, like, when I think about the title of your book, Reset, it's because that's exactly what you got to and what you lived through. And and um, I think it yeah. is it is really interesting and easy for people to say, oh, well, she had it all, she doesn't know. You know, what well, is what does reset really mean? You, you had a hard, hard fall and reset and struggle. So let, look, let's... Look, at that.
0: because I think I chose it. You know, I mean, if you're into karma or, you know, I, I obviously... Went, yes, I'd love those challenges. Thank you very much. Oh, bring them on. So, you're absolutely right. So, I I did not come from the right side of the track, so to speak. I I was a grocer's daughter. I lived above the shop in the early days. My parents had both left school in their teens. Um, my My dad's parents were grocers, so he went into the family business. My grandma was one of 17. And all of her siblings, um, certainly all the men, uh, either went down the pits or fought in World War One, And, you know, lots of them died. You know, this was not a privileged background. When I was four or five, they pulled our shop down, our home, our shop. Because it was slum clearance, like projects would oh. be in uh, to relate to maybe a more northern American audience it you know it was it was slum, it was an area of deprivation, and it was pulled down, but my parents lost their livelihood, and so my they then recreated it and created other shops so I went to what you would call a public school in England a comprehensive a mm. massive school 1700 people in the school you know th- th- you know high school musical this was not yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, and none of my family had ever gone to university because they'd never had the opportunity
1: yeah
0: and I became the first member of my both side lineage to go to university I didn't get to go to the right university because I hadn't gone to the right school and yet somehow through fate through madness through who knows what I fell into this world of PR in London in the heart of it in the 80s and I ended up working for Lynn Frank's PR which the series Absolutely Fabulous is based on Oh wow. and I was at the absolute core of it and you know we I'd look around the office and John Galliano and John Paul Gautier and Mick Jagger and other people would be walking across the office. On my second day, I was on the Orient Express. You know, I had breakfast with Daniel Day-Lewis. This was not the world I had oh. grown up in. Yeah. Um, I did take to it really well I'd, I'd got an English degree I loved words I loved communication so it, it, and, and I remember going for an interview before that I'd been in theatre PR and when they said oh there's a PR job going I went oh is it in theatre they went yeah they went what's PR I <laughs> <You know, laughs> had no idea um, we did not have degrees in PR back in the day if you were good with words you did English okay yeah. and I thought going to be a journalist but then this fledgling industry of PR came up and people said oh if you're good at words and you're good with people you'll be great at it and I thought yep tick tick Um, and so it was very fortuitous that I fell into it so I fell into this crazy world it was not quite Wolf of Wall Street but you know it was the 80s and central London bit bit bonkers and I was good at it because I had a good work ethic, clients like me, I was good at what I did, but I was surrounded by sort of madness. Um, my health wasn't great at the time, but in a way it was a blessing because mm. Lynn Franks was full of Buddhists and they were all macrobiotic and they were like, stop taking all those tablets, it's not going to make you any better, you, know, you need to really get a grip on your health, Go see these complementary therapists. I mean, I remember going home and telling my mother I'd had a colonic, and I think she thought that I was certifiable.
1: Yeah,
0: it was like <laughs> I hadn't really grown up in a family that you know did that, yeah. chanted and had incense sticks around the house and the rest of it. It was why good. Was,
1: why was your health an issue?
0: So when I was eighteen months old, I died effectively yeah um my uh i had misdiagnosed whooping cough and german measles clearly not being vaccinated yeah. um anyway um let's not go down that road and I got to hospital and they said, oh, your baby's lungs collapsed. And then they came out and told my parents that the other lung had collapsed. So I was effectively dead, but they'd do what they could. And then started seven weeks of intensive hospitalization at at one and a half and being pumped full of massive doses of antibiotics. And for good measure, throughout my entire childhood, they gave me antibiotics a bit like you give Smarties, as you call it in England. So the damage that antibiotics would do to one's immune system was not known at that time. It was seen as a sort of wonder drug, and it had obviously got this baby through. And so all through my childhood, you know, I'd get everything going. Um, and for good measure, they just throw a bunch of antibiotics at right. it. So, stronger the- and
1: stronger ones
0: stronger and stronger ones so by the time i reached my mid-20s in an incredibly pressurized business quite alcohol fueled you know we're we're the 80s we're london media um working super crazy hours um you know my, my body's just like no not having it yeah. so i had such a host of things skin complaints hormonal complaints gut complaints you know now of course i see it so clearly but at yeah. the time It wasn't really understood. yeah. And so, yes, so taking care of my health at the age of 26 became an absolute priority. And I was fortunate to be surrounded by these alternative people who said, you know, don't take that terrible drug, go and see this guy who does acupuncture or go and have this done. And so I, I genuinely don't think I'd be talking to you today had I not gone down that road.
1: Interesting. Yeah, it was definitely not. It was that was not a world where those sorts of things happened. Um, and even, I mean, you said alcohol fueled cocaine was a huge, huge thing in New York, in London, in Paris. You know,
0: God, I didn't go there. Yeah. I have to say, the second day of my job at Lynn Frank's, they broke in a meeting I was in and the, the, the they did it on the boardroom table. They sure. got. I was like, what is going on? And it was just something in me, thank God, that kind of went, that's just probably going to be a step too far. You know, I'm trying to get my health up. So thank God I I never, ever went down that road. You know, it's like the Wolf of Wall Street. I can, you know, I can relate to it. But uh, and I around me, and I saw the damage it did as well. But, uh, you know, I'm not judging. I'm just glad I didn't, you know jump on that particular train
1: yeah so where where did you get to from a health standpoint did these alternative things right the ship or to just sort of stabilize a bit like what what was the path from there
0: I think they stabilized it I, I think they would, they'd been, I think there'd been a lot of damage done, and I mm-hmm. think obviously then working in that field I worked in where you're doing eighty hour weeks, and yeah, and, you know I'm going to come back to the alcohol again, you know, because I can remember the late eighties, early nineties when I founded my own p r. company, you know it it would not be you know, here's a day, gym at six, personal trainer, shower, breakfast meeting at eight go to the office at say 10, lunch at one, quite a lot to drink, back to the office at say three, work till seven or eight, evening reception or dinner, more to drink, get home 10 or 11, maybe have a gin and tonic to take the edge off the day. I mean, seriously, you know, and I'm not saying that was every day, but, you know, probably a decade of that. So I did these good and bad things to stay well. I did really good things, I had an Ayurvedic doctor, I had a masseuse, I used to go and have acupuncture, I tried flotation tanks, you name it, I tried pretty much everything. Um, But I did all these things regularly, colonics, Mm. everything else, I became vegetarian. Then I did some really bad stuff, Uh, drank too much, I didn't sleep enough, I didn't rest enough. I had a couple of major illnesses, like I got dengue fever and I had a really bad car accident and literally dragged myself back to work when I was barely functioning. Um, And so I had this amazing Ayurvedic doctor and he said to me one day, I can't bear it because I feel like I'm a sticking plaster and I'm just sticking, I'm a sticking plaster over what's going on and I don't know whether you're going to have the emotion and all the physical breakdown first mm. and wow. yeah you know, this guy he was like really up there and I was like that really 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 haunted me that was bad um it made me really really think you know what am I doing here by this time I was probably seven or eight years into my own PR business mm-hmm. winning awards I Look at first, you don't have all the trappings. You pay other people more than you pay yourself. You put a you put a gloss on it, and you know you struggle and you worry about paying the mortgage and meeting the um, staff salaries. You know that was the first maybe four or five years, but at that point we were, you know, I felt like the cat that had got the cream. I had an eight bedroom house wow. in London.
1: Yeah,
0: I had a a nanny. I had a driver. We I'd flown Concorde. We go on lovely holidays my ex uh, had uh, grown up in the Bahamas we'd go to the Bahamas you know I I did feel a bit like the cat that had got the cream at that time but I was just paying paying for it with my health really I'm nearly my sanity you know so every night it was like whirring plates can I get to sleep so I went to sleep with Zopiclone sleeping tablets you know I'd get up and go to the gym and push, 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 push myself to get the day going again. Yeah. You know, this This is a very high price you pay.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, to just muscle through it. And that's the world you were in. And yeah. you, don't, you don't admit it. You don't stop and complain. Taking time for yourself or slowing down is weakness. And then you're done.
0: I didn't see an option. But then eventually... Because I actually hadn't been able to conceive, so that should have been a bit of a clue. Um, I'd adopted my child, and I realized one Friday evening that I had not seen him awake since Monday morning. Wow, that was pretty sobering. Yeah, I'm like, what am I doing here? Why am I even having a child? Why? What's going on? You know, I haven't seen him awake all week because I'd got in so late every night and then early before he was even up you know the nanny had got him up I, it's like what I mean this isn't what I thought I'd signed up for and so it became very clear to me that we needed an exit strategy so luckily my company was so profitable so good profile I was like runner-up in the businesswoman of the year awards my company won best PR agency award we sold it we were able to sell it um, but I was supposed to have a three-year earnout, yeah. and I could I couldn't I couldn't go beyond a year I was oh, done I yeah. was uh, and so we had to have a really horrible what they call a compromise agreement which is like a kind of a corporate divorce that wasn't yeah. much, but there I am I'm 40 and I'm a millionaire s and I think phew I have dodged a bullet yeah and we're in the Bahamas and then everything went completely wrong <laughs>
1: And that's the point in the story where people like, oh, sail away into the sunset and it's perfect, in the Bahamas, no less. Yes. Right, loads of money, living million, in paradise.
0: More than a million pounds in yeah. the bank. You know, like, yeah, 40, age 40, look pretty hot, you know, like I'm really slim because, oh, for good measure, I'm bulimic. Mm. <laughs> just yeah, to you make didn't tr-
1: mention that, yeah, just one more.
0: Just to make sure that, you know, you stay looking good. Um, no, Um, my body had a different plan and the the universe had a different plan because it wasn't just what happened to me health wise. I mean, every single thing I thought made the fabric of my life and my existence in an 18 month period was taken away from me, everything. Mm-hmm. So it all, you know, I wasn't anyway. So I'm in a foreign country. I'd got another child by then. We're displaced. I'm really not happy with it um i'd lost my job in a way my ego my identity i didn't realize
1: you're i mean it was your first baby you created that so if people downplay it but that's actually when you've started a company yeah
0: it was massive and also i remember you know it was like you know, like on the waterfront. I could have been a contender. You know, there was this moment where I was at the school gate waiting for my children who went to quite a posh school in a gated community. I didn't live in the gated community. Mm. I just like you to know because I don't want to live in la-la land. I always wanted to meet real Bahamians and mix, and that's what we did. Mm. But they did go to school there. And this, this woman said to me, Sol, what's your favourite cupcake recipe? And I heard myself going, I used to be a managing director of a company." <laughs> You know, like <laughs> this kind of like what? What are we yeah. talking about? I don't, I don't even, you know, I don't know what you mean. Um, and that was a real shock. I think it's like a lot of men, men particularly, but also anybody high flying who retires and suddenly they're not very happy on the golf course because yeah. it's not their thing and, and they've lost that big part of themselves. And so I had all of that I'm in a foreign country, but then. My father had a stroke on my birthday back in England. So I fly back to England. It wasn't good. He was very, very, very depressed in a very bad way. Deal with it as best I can. Leave my kids with my ex. And with hindsight now, I realized my ex was having a kind of a protracted nervous breakdown, basically. Um, and came back found my dog run over at the side of the road <laughs> that was fun and had to take my dog and have it put to sleep while I'm still wearing my clothes from the BA flight back mm-hmm. go home get through Christmas start to not feel very well like what's you know not very well it's not very well think it's flu think it's something I used to run every morning I was obsessive because I channeled all that energy yeah into going to the gym, into being thin. I'd run five miles every morning, go to the gym for a couple of hours. You know, I was like, that's where all that thing went. No, I'm I'm finding it hard to run. I'm really struggling. Go for a well-woman check, have a mammogram, get the all clear. Just don't feel right about it. Just don't feel right. Trust my intuition. Thank God. And then I'm in the shower. I'm feeling my breasts there's a lump I'm like I don't like this what's what's happening anyway to cut a long story short three weeks later I am on an operating table in America because I have a very aggressive fast growing form of breast cancer even on that journey and I write a lot about that in other publications I was nearly bulldozed into a lot of treatment that didn't sit right with me Um, and, and it wasn't that they were you know bad people but there was a very oncology based regimen particularly um in the states but you know in any country that believes that that's the way forward so it was a bit like let's throw the book at it and hmm. i was being swept up with that bandwagon and then just didn't feel right about it and really trusted my intuition and said no it's not where i want to go um and so i had to have loads of biopsies but i was proven right that i only had one cancer so i had the least possible intervention. I had a lumpectomy, I had radiation treatment, but that wiped me out. So we moved to an out island, to a ten acre organic farm with a thousand palm trees on a pink sand beach and an azure sea with sharks that my children used to give names because we recognized <laughs> them. I saw Jeffrey today. Um neighbours only two and a half miles away, no TV. I mean it sounds ideal. My children hated it. I'm sure it's so boring. We haven't got any TV. I've got nobody to play with. Um, and I you have live- Jeffrey.
1: What are you talking Jeff- about?
0: Yeah. Don't swim with Jeffrey. I don't like it. He's frightening. Um, and then I was having lots of treatment in America coming back and forward. Um, and then, anyway, to fast forward, I thought I would kind of found ground zero. I thought I'd settled. I thought it was okay. And it wasn't so every time i thought i'd reached the point where i would kind of go okay god i get it okay you've taken so much away from me i get it you know i'm i'm happy now yeah look yeah. look at me i you know i'm good no um so then we lost everything in the hurricane uh, my father got really suicidal I had a secondary cancer scare. Then I found out my mum had terminal pancreatic cancer. All of this necessitated a lot of flying to America. Yeah. And and then the whole time I'm thinking at least we've got all that money in the bank. And then I discover we do not have all that money in the bank because my, my ex had... Made a lot of very, very, very bad investments, and to not let me know, it bit like kind of corporate gambling in a way. Had made Mm. more and more bad investments, trying to recoup what was. So, yeah, that was not a good eighteen months. So, having left in a blaze of glory, um, I returned home just under five years later, a single, unemployed, homeless mother. Yeah. Just in time to watch my mother die and bury her so that was truly okay you you now you now have hit somewhere that the only way is up you know and yeah and I I did I, I came up from that I reset you know I hit the reset button it's like well where do I dig deep now where do I go I reinvented a life for myself I remarried got my kids sorted with schools and stuff I Lived, then moved to live near my father. I became in a training and development company, head of insight and innovation, because obviously I fell onto what my background in marketing and PR was. Um, but then, again, it got derailed. Uh, the menopause hit. I lost my sense of self. My second marriage did not work out. Mm. Um, again, and then my father, for good measure, you're going to laugh now, he died on my 50th birthday. <laughs>
1: I'm not laughing.
0: <laughs> I mean you, you couldn't yeah, make
1: you it You can't make it up.
0: He'd had a stroke on my birthday as well, like
1: yeah.
0: eight years earlier, then he died on my fiftieth birthday. It was like oh. wow. So that marriage unraveled, that existence unraveled, um, and it was a real that was five years ago. Hello, what next? And yeah. then this synchronicity happened where Marissa Reached out to me and said, Look, I'm training people in this new form of therapy. And I thought of you immediately because I'd known her since the 90s. I'd met her through Tony Robbins. Um, I think you'd make a good therapist. And I'll be honest, Brian, I just thought, why not? Because
1: <laughs> yeah. what thought, else do you have?
0: Well, I've had a lot of therapy.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> and I really, truly have had a lot of therapy. And yeah. it's seen through the 80s and the 90s and the noughties. And I thought, you know, why not? Maybe this is the universe telling me something and now without sounding grandiose about it I genuinely think that to be true. I think yeah. this life's work I really do.
1: Well I I want to ask you about this cuz I I don't think it's grandiose but I think this is what a lot of people miss and actually if we look at your first reset when you came back from the Bahamas and you know not quite destitute but certainly versus how you left for the Bahamas you can it's you lit. could call it that. You reset but it didn't work. And so was there something about that process that you learned from the, that was like, hang on, I, I made decisions that helped, but also didn't set me up for where I really should have gone. And could you have done it differently?
0: Yes, yes and yes. Yeah. Absolutely, 100%. But yes and yes and no, because I do think it's my journey to learn all these things. yeah, yeah. yeah. To learn them, okay. So I can say that now with hindsight, and it's a brilliant question. I think what I did when I reset that first time, because everything seemed to have been taken away from me, pretty much had, and particularly with my second marriage, because he was actually my childhood sweetheart, Mm -hmm. and came back into my life, I think it was a sort of, let's regain what was lost. Uh. Let's let's have what was lost, what was taken away, what was possible, what we didn't have. Let's let's recreate something that was magical when we were seventeen and eighteen. And yeah. and and of course, because I was in such a you know a, a brutal place, having buried my mom, and I was still having treatment myself, and my dad wasn't at all well. And then I got the kids. You can imagine the impact on the kids. All of this was having. Yeah. Um, it felt like sanctuary it felt like something that was taken away regaining it and Mm. something and obviously also going into that employment where i was working in the training and development field that's very familiar to me i was working in a marketing role very familiar to me that all felt okay this is good um, I then became head of marketing and communications for an international charity, the Leprosy Mission, which arguably deals with the most marginalized, stigmatized and persecuted people in the world. I mean, in India, they're below the untouchables. And that had definitely done something to me. Those trips to India and standing in Africa and mm, Myanmar, um, mm. you know, all of those places, but really particularly standing under a four-lane highway in Mumbai in filth with people who live in the underpass underneath tarpaulin and they've got no fingers and they're offering you the only biscuit they have and you're like, oh my God, this is what having nothing really truly genuinely looks like. That did something to me and I started to, I think, realise that I'd created a bit of a false nirvana I think mm. it had seemed like a lovely recreation of what was lost a safe place quite a lot of things that were familiar I mean I understand all these things on a psychological level now they're, they're what we're wired for as human yeah. beings you know we like what's familiar we like what we know we like what seems like pleasure um it felt like I'd got my life back but then I started and, and the opening paragraph to my book is um being at a Madonna a concert and she sings the song nobody knows me nobody knows me I've lived so many lives and I just was like I'm living the wrong life this does not feel like the right life I feel like I've just segued into the wrong life and that I'll be honest with you particularly when the menopause hit as well. And, and I really don't want anybody to underestimate how hard that is for women, because you really do kind of lose your sense of self. You start to be fuzzy headed and your body looks different and it's horrible. Um, I genuinely thought I'd lost the plot at that point. And I suddenly was incredibly unhappy. The doctor, of course, put me on antidepressants, like, yeah, let's let's throw an antidepressant at this. I that was the most miserable time of my life it's crazy to hear it because what I'd been through in the bahamas right. there was a fighting spirit within me there was a determination there was a, I'm going to get through this i found god i found a spirituality i felt really connected to nature and the world and all the good things that people crave i i really i was actually very happy hmm. going through the cancer treatment living on that out island i was content You know, there was nothing else on my to do list apart from get well. And every day I'm in paradise in a way. But this was awful. This I really genuinely thought, how do I get through this? And so I had to reset then. And in fact, it was harder because the first time everybody was a bit like, oh, my goodness, look what you've lost. You've come through all of that. Oh, my goodness, you've got cancer. mum's just died of cancer. Your dad's had that stroke. Oh, and you've no longer got that lovely house. La, 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 This time I'm living in actually quite a nice village in a relatively nice house, remarried to, you know, a good looking guy. I've reinvented myself. I've got my kids at school. I'm in a career. It looked OK. And yet I was miserable.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah it, it's interesting when you can compare and contrast those two see when you told the first story it's like well this is terrible and then to hear this is like yeah that doesn't sound so bad wait why are you feeling that way but i it, i hear it now
0: felt a lot worse yeah. and so I I think I doubted my ability to keep coming back to the reset button to like hit the reset button again at that point. It was like, where is it? I don't even know where the reset button is. But I did find it. I really did. And I think there was a lot of synchronicity as well and definitely training for this career. And, you know, it it, it rubs off on you, you know, when you're trying and you're, you're dealing with people and you kind of sit there going, oh, that sounds like me. Or, you know, And I'm a great one for walking my talk and being congruent. And so there'd be times I would be doing training and I'd be maybe watching a demo in the training and somebody would be saying, so I go home and I drink half a bottle of Chardonnay and I cry and I'd be thinking, yep, that, that's me. Because um, <laughs> at the time, you know, my, my second marriage had just broken down. I was thinking, no. Right, get a grip. You need to, you know, deal with this. And so, it had a profound effect on me, and it allowed me to, you know, be true again, true to myself. And then I started sharing this story because Mm. I shared it up to that point. Not at all, really. Nobody knew hardly any of this. Even people in London, they go, "Oh, are you not living in the Bahamas anymore?" I'd be like, "No, quite a lot's happened since then." Yeah. So I started sharing my story and I think just in very safe groups, networking groups, like a cancer group and somewhere else. And then they said, oh, you should go on the radio and talk about that. And I went on the radio and they were like, oh, can you be a presenter? And then it was like, you should write a book. And so I did. Um, But it was very scary Mm. because when you're in PR – You're like the Wizard of Oz behind the curtain cranking the handle. (laughs) You're behind the curtain, you're cranking the handle and the great and mighty Oz is out the front, you know. go Off you go, you'll be great. I've written your speech, go nail it. Um, I'd been in the wings and suddenly I'm in the spotlight and it felt very, very uncomfortable. And I'm also in the spotlight about me. I'm in the spotlight about going, hey, this is me i'm telling you my story and i knew for some people like particularly people who knew me in london they they were going to be pretty shocked because they yeah. didn't know what was going on behind the facade
1: it's going to be as raw and exposed as you feel it also must be cathartic maybe after you've done it a bit so the the fear starts to dissipate but was that a big piece of your reset process being open about what you felt and and sort of it almost strips the shame away
0: Absolutely. And, and I did it. And then I didn't like it. I mean, the weekend before my book was published, I spent the weekend in my pajamas crying. And I rang my publisher and said, please, can you not publish the book? She's like, what are you talking about? I'm so silly. You know, of course, I'm publishing the book. We're having a launch on Tuesday. It's all out there. I'm like, oh, I don't really want to do it anymore. And, um, <laughs> and then everybody interviewed me. And I have to say, it was quite hard because they, they'd pull out the kind of more salacious bits of my story. You know, I mean there's like a part in the book that I talk about where I was nearly raped in a car park. And 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 it wasn't actually much fun reliving that, to be honest. Yeah. yeah. Quite a few times. And I, I I felt quite bruised at the end of it all. And I kind of retreated for a little while. I think I went away on holiday or something. And I have to say I was sort of thinking, have I done the right thing? And then the messages started and I got a message on Twitter because I'm I'm quite active on Twitter from somebody who's actually quite high profile in England and I'm connected to. I've never met her, um, but we follow each other. And she sent me a private message and she said, I read your book and having read your book, I've just had the courage to admit to my husband that I have been bulimic for 15 years and he doesn't know.
1: Did he genuinely not know when she admitted it?
0: I was bulimic for several years and my husband didn't know. So I think, I think it's entirely possible. Um, Who knows, but those messages started to come in, you know, Um, I'd talk at cancer groups and people would read the book and go, Oh, wow. You know, and I thought, okay, it, it, this is why I've shared my story. If this, is, if this is what it does, then it's worth it. And yeah. so discomfort started to be okay because I, you know, like Brene Brown daring greatly, I realized what vulnerability looks like and feels like and also what the payoff is that when you are vulnerable and open and congruent with it, it allows other people to step into that territory. And so I think it's made me a much better therapist. It's made me more compassionate, more congruent. Um, Also people will come to me with some really terrible things and they go, I hope you're not going to judge me. I'm like, have you read my book? Yeah. (laughs) Trust me. (laughs) There ain't no judgment here, you know?
1: (laughs) No. So is, is the, is that, do you feel that that's the right starting point is for someone who's, maybe they're not even fully aware of exactly where they're at and what they're going through, but is it to start to open up about it?
0: Yes, I think so. Again, um, there's a, there's a passage in my book where I, I recount this funny little story about when I was a student and I was hitchhiking around Ireland the Republic of Ireland in 1980 with my then boyfriend back in the day when truly there were no cars and there were no Airbnbs and you didn't have a mobile and you know and you hitched a lift and they'd take you but they'd take you where they were going and then you'd hope get another lift and sometimes you'd be in the middle of absolutely nowhere and you think oh this isn't good I'm going to be spending the night in my horrible two-man tent in a field with cows and this guy came out of nowhere one evening and we stopped and we said um are you going to wherever <laughs> and the, the classic reply came "Ooh, geez if you're going to so-and-so you don't want to be starting from here <laughs> yeah. and I was like yes but we are here you <laughs> know, we, we and, and, and I use that as an analogy about life that I, I think often you absolutely want to be somewhere and you think, God, if only I didn't have to start from here.
1: Yeah.
0: This place I've got myself into this awful life that I don't like anymore, or this job that I hate or this marriage that isn't working or, or just, I don't like myself. If only I didn't have to start from here. And the point is, you do have to start from there. There's nowhere else you can start with. You have to start from there. So you have to have compassion about why you were there to yourself. And you have to start to take some steps, one little baby step after another and start from there. But boy, it's possible to go to to the other place, to the top of the mountain, wherever it is you want to go. And then other people will come to me and they'll say, I had a coach and they made me feel terrible about myself because they said you should be living your life's purpose or what's your vision. And I don't even know what my vision is. I feel so crap about myself. I can't even imagine what my vision is. I can't even see beyond the end of the week. Um, And I have a lot of sympathy for that because having been in some of those very dark places i I think that's a tad unrealistic to say to somebody you know just get some lovely magazines and make a vision board and you know you oh it'll all be better you can head there no not when you are literally maybe drinking yourself to sleep every night or you're on antidepressants or you you hate your spouse or whatever else is going on but having the knowledge that you can press the reset button
1: Mm -hmm. that
0: one for everybody and that you can have compassion for yourself and other people can compassionately help you take some baby steps out of that place to the point where you start to lift your head above the parapet to go, oh, wow, look, those fields over there do look greener. I, I'm very much that coach, that person, that
1: parapet. Yeah. Um, that story that in Ireland, that's fantastic because that is – we're always where we are, regardless of where it is in relation to where we want to be. And if you want to say, "I wish I wasn't starting here," well, why don't you start at the place you're trying to get to? So you're never going to be there. So you know where today. So you might as well start where you are. And um, I, th- this is this is a really valuable, I think, note for us to wrap things up on is this notion of like you can always start from where you are, regardless of what you're ready for or not, and. Part of me is also like that coach is super irresponsible because that's the coach's job. Yes. Um, not to hand you magazines to start clipping from, but to actually help you discover that for yourself. But people can can get into that sort of work and dig deeper with you as well mm-hmm. and figure out their own reset. Where can people find you and find the book and connect with you on social and all that good stuff?
0: Thank you. Um, so, com is my website. I've got lots of freebies as well. I, I do believe in paying it forward. Probably, you know, particularly having been head of a charity for many years, I really do believe in making things accessible and affordable. So there's all sorts of there's a free download for getting over overwhelm and lots of really good tools. And they don't come with a sting in the tail. You don't download them and then I try and sell you something. You yeah. know, they I ask if you sign up for my newsletter because I, I love sharing stuff with people. So I'm on social media, Rosalind Palmer, Facebook, Twitter. You know, you, Basically, if you Google Rosalind Palmer, you'll find me. The book's on Amazon. Um, or you can get it from my own website now. Having improved my website, I even have my own ability to sell the book through it. And um, if you're in England or if it's postable, um, you know, you can even have a signed copy. So, yes. So, Um I've got two podcasts that are coming out soon. So, again, they'll be on the website. There's, there's a, a page and there's all sorts of downloadables, as I say. So, yeah, be in touch. I-
1: and the the name of the book if you want to share that again
0: so the book is reset a blueprint for a better life and it does what it says on the tin yeah so it's resetting your life it's semi autobiographical because i talk about how i got through but then at each juncture where i'm talking about some of the things that have happened to me the cancer the divorces losing my sense of identity etc I give you therapeutic and coaching tools and exercises for how you could create a blueprint to get you through that if you're facing it. So mm-hmm. it's practical as well as sort of autobiographical.
1: I, I have a small tactical question for you on the cover art. Is that a Karen, the the markers you see on paths? And, okay. I was and like, I know, think that's what it is.
0: I just did my... My blog for this week, that is so spooky. And the, the, part, the last line about it, because I'm talking about walking your talk yeah. and how you can walk your talk and listen to your intuition and be true to yourself. And I actually say that cairn stones are what walkers leave on difficult mountain paths, those stones, yeah. to guide walkers who come after them along the safest path. And so when you learn to trust your own intuition, because all you really need is already within you, you become the stones for your own walk on any difficult journey.
1: That's really brilliant. Yeah, That is really brilliant. And that's that's the most powerful thing any of us can be left with from these experiences. And we, we need to be at a place where we're willing to see that.
0: Yes. Um, and to, yeah. No-
1: Rosalind, thank you. So much for all this really beautiful, difficult but honest story and journey and process to to reinvent, to change, to reset. So I really appreciate you sharing all this with us and with me a second time.
0: Well, I hope (laughs) hope it was better than the first. Who knows?
1: (laughs) I if I remembered anything, I would say um whether it was or wasn't, but I'm sure it is. Um it's it's it's,
0: now it's that matters.
1: It's a powerful story regardless of how many times you've heard it um and just to kind of put yourself in those places and i don't think we heard about jeffrey the first time around so jeffrey, was a, the, shark.
0: jeffrey yeah. the shark
1: he Am sounds a, nice i wouldn't trust him to watch my kid
0: go, i go go and swim in the sea oh no it's full of it's full of things and salt yeah <laughs> <laughs> those beautiful beaches in the world trust me a nine-year-old does not appreciate that when they yeah. want to play nintendo and be with their
1: friends very true <laughs> um Thank you for all this. Are you ready to help me close the show out? I am. All right. Today is a new day.
0: And you can always reset wherever you find yourself.
1: I love that. Thank you so much, Roslyn.
0: You're welcome. Thank you.
1: Are you ready to start from where you are? It's such a great little story to prove or to remind us of such a true point. We always have to start where we are, whether we like it or not, whether it's the ideal starting place or not because we are where we are and there are things we can do to build ourselves up and move ourselves to a better place but we're still starting from where we are we're just maybe not recording the journey until we're further along so accepting that is really valuable and Rosalind does bring really valuable um, guidance that thought that You know, why did her second marriage not work out? It's because there were so many other things that were unsettled. She couldn't possibly know if that was the right decision or not. And there were things working against it, working out because of the amount of self-settling she still had to do. So I think that's a really valuable piece of advice for a lot of us. I remember someone told me years ago, you should never get married when you've just like had a major life change, like just started a new career or just gotten out of school or whatever, you should be settled in that new space for at least a year before you make that ultimate commitment. And, you know, I think a lot of younger folks or people who are madly in love, they might forget that, or they might say, Oh, but you know, this is different. And sometimes it is. And sometimes it works out anyway. But it's not a bad idea to pause and reflect and think about Where are you in your life? And are you in the right place to be able to tackle this next step, this next shift, this next journey? So I'm going to leave it there. Definitely check out rosalindpalmer.com. You can get her book there. You can get it on Amazon or wherever else. It's called Reset, A Blueprint for a Better Life. And Rosalind's working on bringing her podcast out when that does come out. I will add it to the show notes because I'm very excited for that. And, of course, you can follow her on social media. And I link to all of that in the show notes as well and also a link to where you can get her book on Amazon in the U.S. or the U.K. because if you didn't figure it out, she's British. Thank you for joining me for another episode of the show. It's always great to have you here, and I will continue to put out some incredible Stories, ideas, inspiration from incredible people who have been through it. And in their story, we find the path forward. All you need to do is subscribe to the show. Maybe if you want to go one step further, you can rate and review it on whatever platform you're listening to, do a day on, so you can help spread the word of the show. I have some incredible interviews already in the bank, ready to come out, really Just unreal guess. I myself was moved by all of these, and I'm really excited to share them with you. So stay tuned. More to come. Subscribe to the show, and don't ever miss an episode. And if you really like this and you think it has an impact, tell someone. If you have a friend, someone who is struggling, someone who could use a bit of inspiration, shoot them a link to the show. Send them to doadaybook.com slash podcast. They can get into the show that way. Or, of course, you can share it from whatever platform you're listening to it on Amazon, Apple, Spotify, Pandora, Stitcher. Um, I don't even know. It's, It's all over. So you can share the podcast really easily. But please do. Let's spread the word because the word helps people go out and do it. Thanks, everyone.